Hi, I'm Adrienne. I help people tell the stories they were told not to talk about. Maybe by their own inner critic. Maybe by the world. Either way, I'm here to serve as a kind of story midwife, birthing these beautiful naked narratives and helping them thrive. Telling our own stories and speaking our own truth should be the easiest thing in the world, but it's not. We all get blocked. We all feel censored, stymied, or silenced at times. We struggle to find the right entry point, to articulate the message we want to convey, and to identify the ideal audience to receive it. And that, my friends, is where I come in. I'm a professional brand voice consultant and story coach. I help entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, storytellers, and anyone else who is ready to start living out loud to deliver their authentic voice directly to those who most need to hear it. Are you ready to get authentic? Good, because that's allowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the That's Allowed podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Adrienne McKeon. And today we are here with Dreema Drudge. And Dreema is actually going to tell not her own untold story, but someone else's untold story. So Dreema, whose story are we telling here today? Ah, we are telling Victorine Marantz. But if you don't mind, first, I'd love to say how happy and honored I am to be here and to be sharing Victorine's story with the world. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, obviously now I'm a novelist. I'm a debut novelist. Um, I have an MFA in creative writing from Spalding University, and I'm a, a writing coach as well as an educator. Excellent. And so how did you get interested in Victorine's story? Well, so I was in a literature class. I was taking an enrichment literature class called The Painted Word. And in it, we were studying literature that comes from artwork and from artists. And um, the professor put up, you know, a slideshow. And so this painting came up of Olympia. And it was of um, Edouard Manet's, you know, that's the one of the seminal paintings of his, of course, is Olympia. Yes. And the professor had, you know, a few words to say about it. And then it was time to move on to another. But that painting just arrested me. I felt like the woman in the painting had so much more to say than just that painting could say. And boy, was I right. <laughs> Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Victorine. Oh, absolutely. So she was, um, she was known as a model in the mid uh, 1860s. So 1860s, 1870s is when she sat for Manet. Um, she was born in the, you know, 1844. Um, so she was known, as I say, primarily as a model for many different painters, for Degas and uh, Alfred Stevens. She sat for many of his paintings, but definitely was known as the iconic model for Manet's paintings. Uh, Olympia, as I said, uh, Luncheon on the Grass, which was another nude painting of his. Mm -hmm. And um, so she became, her reputation became conflated with her status as a model. And so everyone started thinking, oh, she must be, you know, these paintings depicted women who we would now call sex workers, which they would call prostitutes and women of the night and that sort of thing. And people began to, to think that she was this sort of immoral, um, you know, just this, this model rather than a person. A loose of woman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which we're like poo poo today. But um, what history really gets wrong is that while I think models are important and necessary, 
Um, but I think they can be problematic because of the objectification of women as well. Right. What history has totally forgotten is that she was a painter herself. Wow. Yeah, she was such a good painter that her work was accepted at the Paris Salon six times. Oh my goodness. And the Paris Salon was the place, of course, you know, to have your work shown. And if your work wasn't shown then, you know, there, then basically you weren't counted as a worthy artist. So we know that the people of her time, you know, in, in a few later years, you know, after she had sat for Manet, considered her a very good artist. Yeah. That's so uh, frustrating, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, the idea of women being seen and not heard and her expression being kind of lost to history is very sad. So I'm so glad that you're bringing that back. Well, thank you. Yeah, I am, as you can probably tell, very, very passionate about bringing forth her story. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us more. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, because of her status, she was a woman from a, a very poor family. Not that we know that much about her family. Mm-hmm. And being a woman of the time, we only know just a very few facts about her life. Yeah. And so while this is historical fiction, I sort of had to look around her, I say. Like I looked at, unfortunately, I only at that time when I started out had the paintings of men who had painted her to try to figure out not only how she looked now there we do have a couple of photographs of her which I'm very grateful for but as far as paintings of her to figure out who might she have been yeah um, yeah and so um, I really started studying the book called Alias Olympia which is Eunice Lipton's really good book um, I call it more of a memoir because she was looking for Victorine. This would have been back in the um, early, or early to mid nineties. Yeah. And she was looking for Victorine, trying to find out her history and couldn't mm. because they're so well known. And, you know, here she's a scholar and she had access. She was able to go to Paris and I was too, but I don't have quite that scholarly, you know, background that she does. And at that point, there were no known paintings to survive of Victorine's, mm. which I found very, very sad. Now, very. thankfully, few years later and I believe it's because Eunice Lipton sort of she began to bring Victorine back to light you know bit by bit what she could find and it still wasn't a whole lot but a painting of Victorine's came to light then in 2004 the first one known to survive called Palm Sunday and by the time I was doing my research so that already was there so I was able to find one painting and I thought I was going to have to be content with that and I thought (laughs) okay well Victorine has called to me she wants me to tell her story. I'll make do. <laughs> yeah. But there's more to the story, as I'm sure you can surmise. Yes, yes. Because I'm very passionate. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Exactly. Um, so, so I thought, okay, well, she wants me to tell this story. I'll make do with what I have. And we also had descriptions. We unfortunately don't have uh, photographs of them, but we had descriptions of the paintings that she submitted to the Paris Salon that were accepted. And I was especially excited about one that was accepted in 1876 because it was a year when Manet's own paintings were not accepted. Mm. And yet hers was. Turns out it was her self-portrait. Okay. And to me, right? So you're, you're getting the resonance of that already, I'm sure. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is how she saw herself. And I, yes. I wanted to find it so much. I wanted to be able to see that because I thought, well, I'll still write about it. 
because it's so very important, but I don't know that I can do it justice, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so here's the rest of the story. Right before we went to press, um, we were already in process. I hear a rumor that this painting has been rediscovered. <gasps> <laughs> and I was all over that. <laughs> so I was looking frantically, trying to find, you know, I was hunting down the rumors, talking to people. The people who did know were being very tight-lipped because they didn't want to share their information. Sure. And I was frantic. I was saying, you don't understand. I need to see this painting. My novel needs this painting. And my husband, you know, has been wonderfully supportive and he's been um, more or less like an assistant, if you will, in the, in my research. And one Mm -hmm. night, and we'd already had this happen so many times, you know, we were looking through, you know, if you do an image search on Google, you're going to find all this stuff that is not what you're looking for. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. It's labeled or whatever. And so my husband says, well, have you seen this? And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be another one of these, but I'll look, you know, because he's being nice enough to try to find this for me. And I look at his phone and I look again and I'm like, give me that. So I grab his phone and I'm trying to make this painting as big as I can. Yeah. And the, the more I enlarge it, I, I begin to see her signature. Mm. And I'm like, oh, it really is. It was her self-portrait. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> and, and in the process, and I'll try to shorten this. Um, so in the process, I also was able to track down two other paintings that had previously been, and, and they, they're still very you know, very unknown actually in the art world, but I was able also to recover that. And so I feel like that initial seeing of her painting of Olympia in class was her way to get my attention and to say, Hey, there are artworks out there that I want the world to see again. Yeah. I want them to know me who I was as an artist and as a woman. Yeah. How do you feel like, you know, you, you keep saying that sort of she, she called to you. Do you feel like you have a kind of connection to her or to her spirit? I absolutely do. And I know some people accuse me of being a little woo-woo, but how do you explain? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How do you explain this self-portrait? And then the other two that were rediscovered, uh, one is called Juke. Well, at least that's the name on the painting. Mm -hmm. It's of a little dog. And I had written in a little dog. I had given her, um, Victorine's mother in the novel, a dog that she paid more attention to than she did her own daughter. Hmm. And then this little dog painting shows up. I'm like, oh, the dog was real too. <laughs> how is how is Jupe spelled? Uh, J-U-P. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Jupe in French is skirt, but with an E. So it must be just the ah. dog's, little dog's name. Yeah. And so yeah. I really, I did look up the, you know, I did look it up and couldn't find in particular anything that it meant. Yeah. But I don't know if it was just someone's nickname, you know, yeah, the dog know. or what. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be short for Jupiter or who knows. <laughs> exactly. Someone else suggested that may be the case. Yeah. And, and then there was, if I may have one more woo-woo moment. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what this podcast is all about. Get your, get your woo out. <laughs> <laughs> now that, you know, I love your title for your podcast, but that would be a good one too. Yeah, get, get your, your woo out. out. <laughs> well, yeah. I was... So I was writing on a tight deadline because I was trying to finish the novel within six months, which is crazy because I'm a slow writer in a way. I am and I'm not. 
Uh And because I I wanted to be in this novel writing workshop that I was offered a place in if I could finish in time. Mm. Um, But I'm I'm writing and it's winter and I'm just, you know, furiously writing. And suddenly this, this cold looking little boy shows up and I'm like, hello, where did you come from? And who are you? And he said, my name is Pug. And I'm like, I didn't have, I didn't call for a boy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he charmed me immediately and Victorine, um, said she wanted him to be in the story that it was someone for her to love. Okay. Because, yeah. <laughs> and then the other painting that was found is called Le Briquette. Mm-hmm. And it's a little boy eating bread. And in my story, Pug is always eating as a little boy will, you know, a 10 year, 11 year old boy. And I just felt like this was one more, uh, you know, occasion where Victorine was saying, yes, continue to tell this story. I want this yeah. told. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting when you think about that, you look at these paintings and you know that there's a story behind every single one of them. And these people in the paintings, you know, these models, these people that, that, you know, they, they sat for these paintings have their own story and their own perspective on things. And it's fascinating to think about because we don't usually think about that. We just think about, you know, what was the artist thinking when he painted right. this, what was this, what was this model thinking when she was on this blanket? <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> One of my yeah. theories is, is that um, artists and models co-create. And I think yeah. some artists might be offended by that, but I, I think that's absolutely the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody co-creates. I mean, <laughs> life is much more collaborative than we like to think it is, you know? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's so fascinating. So. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about your process, deciding to do this and anything that blocked you and how you kind of overcame that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I was in my MFA program and as I said, I wanted it to be in this special writing workshop. So I was writing very fast. Um, I think that having that deadline was a real blessing in this case yeah. because I tend to doubt myself, second guess myself, and I'll be all over the map. <laughs> what? A writer yes. who second guesses themselves <laughs> and is all over the map? This is shocking news. <laughs> well, one, of my mentor- <laughs> one of my mentors in the program said, I don't believe in outlines. This was a previous project before I started Victory. Uh-huh. Uh, he said, I don't believe in outlines, but in this case, you might benefit. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew what he meant, but what I've learned since is that I'm not really embarrassed about that. That is just who I am. That is my process. And I go, I love, like the minute you decide on a lane, you've shut off all these other avenues. And I love to just go down these lanes and explore the avenues until I realize that's really not the right place for me Mm -hmm. to be. So I don't want to shortchange myself. <laughs> yeah. As Neil Gaiman says, the art of the second draft is making it look like you knew what you were doing with the first one. Oh, yes. And <laughs> that's what editing really is to me. It's going back and going, oh, okay, well, now I see where this was trying to go. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I love the revision process. That's another mm-hmm. thing that slows me down, unfortunately, is yeah. just trying to get it right and trying to get that rhythm and feel like, okay maybe other people in for sure other people can make it better, but this is the best that I can do right now. Yeah. I think actually memoir is one of the hardest things to revise because it's like, well, this is what happened. 
you know, it feels weird right. to, to, to try to like, I don't know, manipulate it into something else. Cause that's, that's why I'm grateful to, to write fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's because mm-hmm. of that very thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I find that when I'm writing memoir or when I'm helping other people write memoir, you really need that outside perspective of somebody else going, okay, well, this is important to the through line and this is not because to you it's all important because it happened. It's like, well, it all happened to me, so it must have been important. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Um, I worked with a client once who, um, I, I won't go into details. I try to, you know, keep confidentiality. Sure. Went way into detail about something, you know, like 35 pages on something that could have been summed up in two paragraphs yeah. and would not let go of that. And I said, I know how important that is for you. Why don't we put that aside as something special to hand down to your children? Right. But the world at large doesn't need 35 pages on this event. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, everything you write is useful somewhere right? Just not necessarily here in this book. And I think one of the things that writers do is they think, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I'll have the time to write something else. So I have to put everything into this. No, 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 no. Trust yourself. Trust that you will use that where it's supposed to go when the time comes up and just cut it. (laughs) Absolutely. I can tell you're a writer. (laughs) Yeah, you think? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's a hard discipline though. It is, you know, we fall in love with these little clever things or these, you know, these characters. And it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to cut things that you've fallen in love with. It can be, but I try to be merciless. My husband laughs because yeah. sometimes he'll say, how's the writing going? And I will say, oh, it's great. You know, I wrote 15 pages and got rid of 10. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you talk about Victorine, I feel, I just, I feel that passion. I feel that connection. And I really can tell that you want to tell her story and, and get her story out there. And I think that is so beautiful. And what would you advise to somebody else who's listening to this and going, yeah, you know, I feel like I want to tell this, you know, create a memoir for <laughs> mm-hmm. this person who didn't have a voice or this person who is no longer here. What advice would you offer them? Oh, that's, that's so good. So memoir, we're we're talking about real people then. Um, I would say, write down the emotional heart of what it is you want to say first. Don't worry about it being factual. Mm -hmm. Because if need be, you can always take it in a fictional direction. Because sometimes that can be easier. However, if you really do want it to be a memoir, obviously, you know, you're going to have to, you know, we call it creative nonfiction a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And I think putting that, you know, adjective on the front of it can really help sort of aim it in that, um, yeah, obviously it's going to be true, but let's get some emotional resonance going on there as well. Yeah. I've also called it uh, autobiographical fiction. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's a lot of that out there for sure. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, it's so it's so fun in a way to get into someone else's head and just try to sort of channel them and embody that sense of like like you said getting that emotional heart there, that that mm-hmm. connection to what is the what is this person's core? Mhm. What are their yeah. values? What are they trying to, you know, the message they have for the world? And then just let them kind of channel through you this story. I think that's such a, an exciting thing to do. Absolutely. It was for me. I can say that for sure. 
<laughs> yeah. So how did this process change you? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, for one thing, I think it made me bolder. Uh, people have asked, am I Victorine? And I have to laugh because mm. not at all. <laughs> 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 However, um, you know, I am so passionate about getting the word out about her and, and reintroducing the world to her paintings that, you know, I don't know if it was just, if it were just a, a, you know, a book that I had written, just a novel without that impulse. I don't know if I could have pushed this hard. Yeah. Uh, it may have been hard for me to come on podcast. It may have been difficult for me to reach out to reviewers and say, hey, would you look at my book? But I keep telling myself I'm doing it for her. Yeah. You know, I can do this. And I think that that has been a real change in my life. Absolutely. What do you think is Victorine's message to the world? <sighs> you know, I, I could overcomplicate it and I probably will. <laughs> but in part, I think it's just her way of saying, you know, I was more than the person in these paintings. That was an important part of my life. But my art was so important to me that mm -hmm. I separated my relationship from Monet in order to go on to art school because we were not geeing and hauling, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think her artwork, I mean, it had to have been in incredibly important to her. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, with, like with any artist, what we want most is for our work to live on. And I think she's just wanting it back out there. Absolutely. Who do you think needs to hear that message? I want to say everyone. <laughs> everyone but, does. <laughs> everyone. But I, I'm realistic. <laughs> I know that, you know, not everyone cares. Um, I, I, think, I think all artists ought to consider ways to help their, their art live on. Of course, I mean writing. I mean all of the arts. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to ask ourselves, how can we ensure that? You know, what can we do to make sure that um, it gets into the next generation's hands? I think um, it, it's a very feminist, you know, novel. It's, yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's promoting the idea of don't let others define you. And, you know, when you're in a painting, you're almost literally in a box. It's a flat yeah. box, but it's a box. Yeah. So don't let others define you and, and circumscribe you. Uh, don't let your reputation, you know, she could easily have just said, well, this is who they think I am. This is who I'm going to be and no more. And, yeah. and live up Someone to else's that potential. Frame. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. Yes, I'm going to yeah. steal that if that's okay. Please do. Let's say <laughs> yes, it again. Thank you. To live in someone else's frame. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are living in someone else's frame whether they realize it or not. And it's really important to create your own frame and to, you know, create your own self-portrait <laughs> to, to extend yes. it to its limits. Beautifully said. Oh, you need to be my publicist. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I do. I, I, I am hireable for copy. That's what I, what I'm here for. <laughs> But seriously, I really think that that's the message of your book is that people yes. need to recognize that, you know, if you don't purposefully frame your own life, that it will get framed for you. Yes. And you may oh, not like I the framing. 
that is so true. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, is there anything else that you want to tell our audience? Uh, no, not in particular. I, I mean, I'm thrilled to have been here and I feel like I've done way too much talking. I have to apologize for that. No, no, you have not. That's the thing. People get so self-conscious uh, about talking about their work and their passion, but that's what you're here for. That's your gift. If you don't put that out there, then it's not going to get out there. It's not going to exist in the world. So Dreamo, please don't ever apologize for being excited and enthusiastic about your work and sharing it with people. That's what we're here for. Okay, deal. <laughs> <laughs> and a pep talk. I love it. That's perfect. I'll take it. So I want you now to uh, take a deep breath, okay? Mm-hmm. And tell yourself that it's okay to talk about you and to talk about your work. And then I want you to tell everyone out there where they can find your book and why they should read it. All righty. <laughs> Deep breath accomplished. Fabulous. So, yeah, you can find Victorine on Fleur de Lis website. That's the press that's published my book. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can also find it on Amazon UK. I've had a lot of interest there, which has been really exciting. Um, and are you ready for the socials and all of that? Absolutely. Or? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So on Facebook, I have a group called the Painted Word Salon. We're getting together and just beginning sort of to meet and talk about art. <laughs> Salon Neat. just seemed perfect. Yeah. Um, and I a classic yeah. <laughs> bringing back the salons yeah, right. online. I love it. Right now we need that. Don't we? We, we need an online refuge. Percent. We need that right now. I think more than ever is the time when people need to be gathering in cyberspace and yes. sharing ideas, sharing philosophies, talking about creativity, talking about art, encouraging each other's creativity. I think one of the really beautiful things that has actually come out of the quarantine uh, is that people are now finally following their heart and following their dreams because they have been disallowed from doing that work that kind of sucks their soul and, you know, makes money for somebody else. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I hope that's one of the things that people will hang on to even after the crisis is over. Absolutely. Yeah, that you don't need to be within, you know, walking or driving distance of somebody to spend time with them, that you can connect with people all over the world who have great ideas and collaborate with them. Absolutely. Please keep doing that well beyond this. Oh, yes. Will do. And, oh, I think I forgot to finish my answer. Please, go <laughs> we, ahead. We went off into the philosophical, which yes. I can do very easily. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah. I also really enjoy Twitter, so I'm over there a lot. That would mm -hmm. be at Dream of Drudge. Okay. Uh, Instagram, you know, Dream of Drudge there. Uh, one place I would really recommend if you want to know more would be my newsletter. And that's on my website, uh, dreamadrudge.com. And uh, you can sign up for the newsletter there. And that's where I try to put tidbits and things that, you know, not everyone gets. And yeah. so I would love to have them sign up there so we can talk more. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure and I hope you will stay well.
I hope you will too. Take care of you and yours, okay? Thank you. You too. I appreciate it. All right. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this episode inspiring or at least entertaining. Please subscribe and tell all of your friends to subscribe and, you know, like me and rate me and say nice things about me on social media. All that stuff really matters and it costs you zero dollars. And speaking of things that cost zero dollars, I give out 20-minute consultations for free for new clients. So listen, if you've got a story you're not telling, a brand that's in need of an authentic voice, or a brand voice that's in need of great content and an audience to enjoy it, I would love to help you out. Head on over to my website, thatsallowed.com, to find out more. Are you ready to make your voice heard? Good, because that's allowed. <laughs>